I say we should try to play the Seinfeld song. Why, why can I? Why can the Seinfeld song come to me right now? You don't remember it? It goes Seinfeld, Seinfeld. <laughs> he's a Everybody. best friend around. <laughs> it sounds like a My Buddy commercial. <laughs> Seinfeld, like the Seinfeld doll. Seinfeld, get your Seinfeld and take him around town. <laughs> Seinfeld, yeah. he has twenty things. What is with these dolls? <laughs> Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit. A podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode 9 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. I'm Trevor L. Nelson. And I'm Alex Dark, and today we're going to be debating the idea that you should know a little bit of every part of filmmaking, or, you know, focus on one main aspect. Yeah, but first, what are we drinking today, Alex? Um, today, actually, I don't even know what it is. It's a whiskey. It's a yeah. whiskey soda. Uh, let, me go, let me look at, look at it. You just keep talking about what we just got. Yeah, we got a um, a beautiful Patron XO uh, chiller machine. Yeah, but yeah. we're not using it for Patron. No, no. You put uh, two bottles of supposedly Patron on top, uh, but we did not. So we're actually drinking Phillips Union. It's a whiskey blend, a mix of Kentucky whiskey and Canadian whiskey. It's quite good. Quite good. Um, we mix it with a little soda water. But a little, what a what a strange name. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, uh, we we've stocked the uh, the liquor dispenser in honor of my hometown. Both liquors in there are from Minnesota. Uh-huh. Phillips is the brand behind the UV vodkas that everyone loves, but this is their whiskey blend. And then uh, what is it? What does it say on that bottle? What's the date? That is the actual name of the vodka. It's a 19, new one. 1941 vodka. Uh, 1941 vodka from Minnesota as well. So mm, 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 we're going to be drunker and drunker as we do these podcasts because now we have just bottles of liquor at a push of a button. Yep. Ice, ice cold liquor. Mm, nothing goes better with a podcast like ice cold liquor shots. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so what's, what's new other than the liquor dispenser that we just set up? What's new? Yeah. What's new? Well, we just went to Las Vegas last weekend. Why do we do that, Alex? Well, it was my bachelor party. What? That's why. Yes, it was. Yeah, we're both lucky to be alive. Yes. And here talking to you people Ooh. about filmmaking. Because we're lucky to be talking to people. You people are not lucky for us to be talking to you. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. We, um, we could have easily been stuck in the desert. My car was having car troubles. Yep. Alex was a gem to drive because if his car was having car troubles, my car would have died. I need to get a new car. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did. Uh, I don't know if the, you people have been to Top Golf, but if you haven't been to Top Golf, check it out. It's pretty sweet. Quite fun. Um, we went there. We did a lot of drinking. Yeah, we did. Uh, Alex did some dancing on the dance floor. Yep. 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 He's a dancing machine, but uh, mostly sometimes a lot I of drinking. Like, sometimes I like to uh, uh, dance battle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We've had some moments when we've gone to bars and after. One or twelve drinks, Alex tends to get into dance battles with. He just calls people out on the dance floor and starts dancing, and it's it's not really a battle because it's just <laughs> it's not a battle because they have no chance against me. <laughs> just smooth, smooth moves. He's got to tell you guys, <laughs> this man is a dancing machine when he yeah. drinks. Um, so we drank a lot. Um, you know, we all got into some shenanigans, but we all survived. A healthy group there for Alex, about eleven or twelve guys at any given time. Very fun. Uh, Trevor walked away with some dinero, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. About five thirty in the morning on Sunday, after yeah. I, before I had a nice steak breakfast. <laughs> 
It's still dinner at that point if you haven't. If I haven't gone, gone to sleep, sleep, yep, yep, counts as dinner. Absolutely, and I, uh, you know, I pulled the 400, uh, 400 uh, hand on three card poker. So there you go. Very happy with that. Um, made up for all the other losses I had that weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my and dignity, had, my liver. All you that. had the steak dinner. I had the the gyro and chili dog dinner. Yeah, from- Alex is obsessed. <laughs> so okay, so for those who haven't been to Vegas in a while. Fremont Street in downtown Vegas is kind of the spot to go these days. Yeah, it's um, pretty fun. It's pretty fun. And there's a hotel there. It used to be called the Fitzgerald. Um, it's been rebranded as the D for Detroit. And, and also w- because of the guy's last name, right? Maybe. Or his first name. Maybe his name is Derek. Yeah, but I think him and his brother own it. So I think... I think All right. Yeah, I don't know. Who um, knows? Yeah, who the knows? D. Everyone, get, everyone makes a joke. Ha-ha, <laughs> the D. <laughs> <laughs> snicker, snicker, snicker. Um, uh, but it's fun. It's a cool little place. Um... And uh, we stayed there for my bachelor party, and Alex fell in love with the Euros at the... The Coney Island uh, hot <laughs> yeah, dog shop. He fell in love with the Euros at the Coney Island hot dog shop there for some reason, and so <laughs> that was the sole reason we went back there for his bachelor party. Not so the he, sole reason, because the Fremont Street yeah. is pretty bomb.com these in, days. In fact, we even saw on one of the little stages out on Fremont Street, one of Alex's high school friends... Correct. Because uh, I went, I, I'm from Las Vegas. He's from Vegas. People, if you didn't know that. People don't know. Surprise. They're like, oh man, so lame. Everyone no. goes to Vegas. No, I'm from Vegas. Most, uh, not most, but like a solid portion of the people um, that came to the bachelor party are from Vegas. Yeah, so they just came for the festivities. Um, so yeah, um, good time. Good time. Uh, Alice got his Euros. I won some money. Um, we win all, win. Yeah, we all made lost, it back. Lost made it some back. memories. Um, so and we, we're, we're here with you now. Um, so, uh, what else is new? What else is new? So we, if you've been following us on cinema summit, we do a lot of tutorials. Um, you know, we're doing, uh, some interviews and all stuff like that. So Alex a while ago, put up a video, it's called photo bashing and it is combining a bunch of photos together for one image. And he did one for this idea we had for a a horror movie called beef, beef, beef. Um, funny, funny title, but, um, it's it's got multiple meanings. It's layered like an onion. Oh my gosh. But yeah, like a beef <laughs> onion. <laughs> Just so many food references here. This is yes. why we're fat. Um, uh, but yeah, so he did this uh, tutorial. You can check it out at cinemasummit.com about combining all these um, stock photos together and to make a kind of a concept photo. And uh, he just was messing around on Reddit, uh, which we're kind of getting into in terms of marketing and all that and showing what we got out there. Um, and put it up there, just put the video up and said, hey, um, you know, this is a video I did for some concept art for our feature horror film beef. And guess what? It kind of blew up a little bit. Um, now not blowing up in the sense of Reddit, but in the filmmaker community on Reddit, it kind of, it's kind of been trending a little bit. People like yeah, it. People have been have, asking what it is, what the movie's about. At this point, we're very close to 400 upvotes, which is very cool. Hey, which on, which on Reddit, which is kind of like high school. It's all good. I'll take that. That's a popular kid right there. I'll take it. Um, so yeah, so we're kind of. I don't know, kind of reinvigorated to try and maybe write out beef, uh, see if we can get some funding for it. We Yeah, because we got a lot of really good comments. People like the story idea, people want to see the trailers, want to be part of it, and do I, all that kind of stuff. I think with the trailer of Halloween coming out, I think people are going, trying to get back into the whole slasher films, and that's what beef is. It's kind of a slasher creature horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, did just see that trailer, by the way. What'd you think? The Halloween one it looked pretty good. Can you believe Danny McBride wrote that? I can believe it. Because he's so a talented funny. mofo. <laughs> no, it looks good. If you guys haven't seen the trailer for Halloween, the new one coming out with Jamie Lee Curtis, um, it's uh, written by uh, Danny McBride, who you may know from Tropic Thunder. 
Vice Principals. Vice Principals. Eastbound and Down. There it is. That's what I was looking for. Eastbound and Down. Um, Pineapple Express. Uh, mm-hmm. Dude's known for comedy, but he killed it uh, so far from the trailer. It looks awesome. I'm excited. It does look awesome. And I heard that it's it's a direct sequel to the original, so kind of like other ones don't really exist in yeah. that world. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of funny because I read an interview he did where they wanted to do a back-to-back shooting. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wait a second, you guys. You guys are just getting into horror films. Let's uh, pump the brakes a little bit and just see if this one goes. Because if you everyone hates you after this one, you don't want to have another movie coming out that everyone already hates you for. So uh, yeah. maybe we'll see a sequel, but the trailer looks awesome. Check it out. Um, it's just called Halloween, but make sure it's the newest one. Yep. And you're not looking at the, what, the 1978 one <laughs> yeah, and wondering whatever. why it looks so bad. Uh, so, yeah, so that gives us some hope for uh, for beef. Maybe we'll get that off the ground if we can get some funding or get some people interested in it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I want to shout out some thanks to uh, the people on iTunes who are giving us five stars. We're slowly climbing in the ranks of number of five-star reviews. Yeah, what is it, nine now? Ooh, Ooh boy. boy wow. nine. We hit double Plus, digits soon. we have people actually writing real text reviews, which is so awesome. Which is crazy awesome. Um, you know, the little podcast that could. Yeah. Uh, people seem to like it, so thank you guys. Yeah, really. We thank appreciate you. it. And uh, also, to give love to everyone who listens to this, um, we are putting up some more uh, interviews that we've done on Cinema Summit. So we had a series with Michael Rousselet, if you don't know who he is. He's one of the ma- mad ma- minds behind um, Five Second Films. Yes, and uh, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, which is the Five Second Films campy horror feature that they did, was an L.A. Film Festival, premiered an L.A. Film Festival, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. I do believe so. Uh, has traveled the world, uh, showing this thing all over the place. And People if you guys haven't it. seen it, it is hilarious. It's crazy. Uh, my wife and Alex's fiance didn't get it during the screening no. as much as we did, but I was cracking up the whole yeah, time. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, we did a, a series of interviews with him talking about how he went through, they went through Kickstarter. They did all, you know, just a bunch of production uh, you tips know, and t- tricks. Tips and, and tricks, like some that. stories, you know, just vamping on his experience with Dude Party Massacre 3. And also, we, ch- we chatted with him about a bunch of other stuff, because yeah. he also writes uh, for Cyanide and Happiness, yeah, so and we, does voices. So that's up there now on our YouTube page, as well as uh, our website, cinemasummit.com. Um, but we're putting up some videos uh, with our interview with our friend John Levine. Um, yes, indeed. We, we produced a film with him yep. uh, several years ago at this point, a micro-budget. Yep, John's uh, writing and directing debut. Mm-hmm. Um, so we uh, wanted to talk to him about that. I mean, only fitting that it would be, you know, that we'd have a guy talking about his low-budget feature on and then pushing it on a podcast called No Budget Filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's going to be pretty cool. We have some of them coming out pretty soon. We have three up already. They're gonna be, we're going to be pushing out three new ones every week for a total of 20 videos. It's kind of cool. Just kind of head on over there, get some ideas on how to do your first feature or your second feature or any other tips he has. It's kind of funny because, um, you know, as we were editing them, um, I was realizing that a lot of the things that he says is kind of echoed in what our, we say in our podcast, you know, about planning, about testing mm-hmm. as much as you can, writing for what you have and stuff like that. So um, if you are not annoyed with our, our tips so far, head on over there and watch those videos because it's kind of the same stuff. Yeah, exactly. But it's cool. visual. Ooh, visual. Ooh. A visual medium. Um, so now on to the topic of the day. Now this yes, is kind of the old adage, should you be a jack of all trades or a, and a master of none? Yeah, or, or, or a master of one. And a jack of no trades. Correct. That's not really the saying. No. <laughs> That's not quite, That's my quite saying. flow off the no. tongue. Oh yeah, no, it rolls. Uh, but we'll work on it. It rolls dirty. We'll chisel away at that and mm. try to come up with a really streamlined 2018 version of that saying. Fine. 
<laughs> okay, so let's talk about let's let's set some precedents on this, Alex. Talk, let's talk about first about the old school way of doing, of uh, getting into the film industry and n- making your niche in the film industry and kind of what the old way of doing things was. Yeah. So, well, when we got into this industry, we've, we've been in it for several years. Uh, a number that I'd rather not say. Yeah, no. Uh, when we graduated college two years ago. Yeah. Uh, when I was born in 1998. <laughs> 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 but anyway, when, when, um, we, um, yeah. when we graduated, yeah. it was sort of right at that beginning of the digital age of cinema. Mm-hmm. The red one kind of just started popping. Yeah. The 5D Mark II had come out a little bit. Um I think and we had mentioned before that we actually shot some projects in school on film to just kind of show people that it was like, or tell people that it was like right in the cusp of like all, even the schools were slowly moving to digital, but it hadn't been completely there yet. Yeah, we shot almost everything on film except for the things that we shot on mini DV. So it was yeah. like either film or mini DV back then. Yeah. Um, was- and then towards the end, it started moving into like HDV, mm-hmm. which is the high definition version. But yep. either way, it was a pain in the butt um, yep. just in terms of, you know, Hooking your computer up to the deck, or going in the in the the edit bay in the Avid, and oh, ingesting media, ingesting media, ingesting media. Oh. You kids have it so easy. Ingesting so media, easy. holy smokes! I mean, you have film that had to go to the developer, and then you come back, and then you had to get it digitized. Woo! Then not only that, yeah, they would send you yeah a mini DV tape. With your film on it. Yeah. Your developed film that you would then have to ingest into yeah. the Avid. Or you use your the XL1, which was a mini DV tape, and you still would have to ingest it into the Avid. And that means a one-for-one ratio. So if you had 30 minutes of, of tape, you had 30 minutes of ingest time. If mm-hmm. you had six tapes and each was an hour long, guess what you're doing for six hours plus? Mm-hmm. Sitting there watching the footage, but which is good. You get to review your footage and all that, but... Yeah, and I had the XL2 at the time, Ooh, Ooh fancy, <laughs> which was kind of one of the first camcorders that was able to do in-camera, like the 16-9 aspect ratio and 24 frames. Oh, it was beautiful. 24p, which was yeah. cool. And yeah. it was a whole heck of a lot easier than film because you could actually see kind of, you know, what you're getting mm-hmm. in the monitor. So that was kind of, that was an easy transition into the digital stuff, uh, which we now do. But I one thing I noticed right out right out of college, um, the old timers and the people that had been in the industry forever, um, that I was around because my roommate was working, uh, on commercials and TV shows and stuff. They would ask me, you know, what, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a filmmaker. And they would kind of scoff at me. (laughs) They would snicker and be like, what? what, what But what do you do? Yeah. You know? And I'd be like, well, I like to do everything. And see that is that now we were in the cusp of that because all of our professors were kind of the, and I mean, granted, this is kind of true even today. You mean your cinematography professors are probably going to be cinematographers, um, you know, your yeah. your directing professors are probably going to be directors. But even then, they would ask you like, "What do you want to focus on?" Like, I remember my um, two ninety professors like, "Do you want to be a director? Do you want to be a cinematographer? Do you want to be an editor?" And I was like, "Uh, yes, yes, yes I do. Yes, sir, please." Um, and there it's for whatever reason, it's been okay to be a writer director. It's not really okay. I mean, there are a few people that do it like a, a director DP. Yeah. You got Soderbergh, um, Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. I was just going to say, yeah. Um, but there's not a whole lot. No. Um, and then a DP writer is kind of like a wacky combo, right? Weird combo. Weird combo. uh, 
I don't know. We, Trevor and I, we both like to kind of put our hands in everything. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Sounds really just weird. Jars of mayonnaise, just you know, jelly. Uh, uh, you know those uh, those bags horror, of sand, yeah, those anything. haunted houses boxes where you put your hand in and it's worms, but it's really spaghetti. We just like to put our hands in those all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. You know, but I mean, back in the day, it was you had a set path. You know, you would be like, I want to be a cinematographer, so I'm going to become, you know, assistant camera, or I'm going to become a loader. Um, then I'm going to go to assistant camera, and then I'm yeah. going to go to... You they, know, had, they had the, the path to success. It yeah. was like, everyone for, starts a PA. For everything. Camera PA. Yep. Loader. Yep. Second AC, first AC. First you know, all the way up. All the way up, and same for directing, same for writing, um, you know, same same for grip. I mean, they, there was a set path on, you had to figure out early on what you want to do, because there was no shortcuts. It was, you got to, you got to, as they say, you had to pay your dues in the industry, in the field you wanted. Yeah. And also back then information wasn't so readily available. You had to like dig through books in the library, you know, to find in, any information about stuff on the, uh, on the entertainment industry. And like, if you wanted to be a cinematographer, there were some books out there, Yeah, but there wasn't any, you know, if you didn't go to school for film, um, the only way to get real hands-on experience was to start out as a PA and work your way up because that's, yeah. I mean, cameras and stuff weren't as available as they are now. So there weren't so many people making projects. Um, and you, you know, you didn't really have these small towns or, uh, these non like hub cities, mm-hmm. you know, shooting a bunch of stuff that, uh, uh, weren't real Hollywood productions like moving out into the into that town to shoot. So and it was super hard to jump around. So if you started off, you know, in the the bottom of a of the uh, camera department and you wanted and you worked your way up to say second AC, and then you're like, you know what? I also want to get into editing. You wouldn't be able to be like, oh well, I'm just going to edit something. You'd be back at the bottom rung of editing, and so it's like yeah. you weren't able to jump around and, and get your hands as we like to say in everything or, you know, get the experience in everything <laughs> um, because it was just, it just w- didn't happen. Didn't happen. And similarly to cameras uh, back in, back then, I mean, mm-hmm. editing was a whole process. Uh, you know, it became computerized relatively recently in the grand scheme of, of cinema. Um, and so, you know, even then it was like, did you have enough hard drive space, pa- you know, a powerful computer to actually edit and then, you know, did you know how to do it? Because it wasn't as straightforward as it seems now where it's like, okay, I'm going to edit this, uh, have my actual raw footage on the computer and, uh, just export out a finished version. That's not really how it was because you were actually editing for the film. And so then you'd have to send the, the cut sheet to, uh, the film lab and have them actually splice together the film and create a uh, negative and all that kind of crazy stuff. I remember when we were working on the short, um, it was the summer after I graduated and the summer before your senior year uh, when we shot on, on that short with Logan and it was all on film. Yeah, 35 uh, yep, mil. Uh, through the Panavision grant. And I remember the first AC, they had just finished up a mag of film and there was some left over. And I remember she gave me some. She's like, yeah, you want to test out some exposure, do some funky stuff? And I was like, yeah, cool. And it's like, that then was like, ooh, you get to experiment with film and all that because this is the only opportunity unless you want to buy it and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's yeah, it's treasure. Um, but nowadays, I mean, the new way of doing things is do it all. Do yeah. it all, especially on your own productions um, that are super small. Um, now yeah. it's kind of one of those things where you have to decide, do you want to be just a director? 
because you don't need to be just a director. Yeah, and I think the the thing that uh, we have to make sure people realize here is like, if you just want to be a director, that's okay too. It's completely fine. It's but completely fine. We're not fine. saying that you have to do everything. We're just saying that Trevor and I particularly like, you know, we like editing, we like writing, we like directing, we like shooting, mm-hmm. we like lighting. Don't uh, like sound. <laughs> sound is the one thing yeah. that we just aren't. It's so different from everything else in terms of like the technology and, and and it's so hard to do anything else except sound because sound is so important and yeah, so yeah. Mi- detailed. Exactly. Um, but no, but no, Alex is right. Like we like to do all this stuff. No, in no way, shape, or form do you have to say that you need to know. You need to know lighting if you want to be a director. You don't. I remember I was working on a Coca Cola commercial and the director didn't know any of the equipment, didn't know what it was called, didn't know anything. And that's fine. To me, it was weird because I wanted to know all the, you know, all the equipment so I could know what it was, know what it did in the grip department and all that. But he was just like, Hey, you guys listen to the DP. Cause I have no idea what this equipment is. I have no idea what I need to rent. I trust my DP for that. And that's kind of the old school way, but yeah. that still happens now. And that's fine. That's completely fine. We're not telling you, you got to know everything if you want to get in this industry. Mm-hmm. And the the point of knowing all these things is not to sort of have control over everything because if you have a DP, you want to let that person do their thing. You know, you don't want to like be a control freak necessarily. But um, it to us, it's good to know, uh, you know, even just the basics of a certain department for the purposes of just communication, really, because yeah. effective communication on a set is just like key. It's so crucial to having everything go smoothly and um, making your days even if you can't express what you're trying to say, you know, in words that your key people will understand, it's just going to really slow things down mm-hmm. in our opinion. But in our opinion. Yep. This is all our opinion. If you haven't figured it out, we have really bad and good opinions at the same time, but they are just our opinions. Just ours. Yeah. I mean, it's... The new school way I would recommend somebody coming in there is like just, you know, it would be almost like if they did go to film school, even if they didn't, it'd be learn editing just a little bit. You don't have to want to be an editor for a feature film. Yeah. Just maybe it go out and shoot something on your own, learn a little bit of the editing technique, you know, just so you get an idea of what you can do in the edit bay. So when you're fil- when you're filming something or you're shooting something and you have a scene you can kind of tell, like, oh, this will edit together, or I don't really need that. Um, you know, we talked about the Michael Rousselet interview, and he is an editor, and he said it helped him as an editor to direct their feature film because he was like, especially low budget when you're on such a tight uh, time frame and budget, he was able to be like, you know what, we don't need that because I can edit it together this way, and it'll still play, and we can do that and that and that. So it helps. Uh, I would recommend it. Even if you don't ever want to edit again after you edit your first thing, just to get a base idea of what it's like and what you can do. Yeah. And I think it's also important to make a distinction between knowing the technical aspect and knowing the theoretical aspect, because Mm -hmm. you can, you can know the theory behind editing and understand things like pacing and hitting uh, beats of music and stuff like that without knowing the technical how-to of actually using the software and like hitting the buttons and everything. Because right? all software is different. And But even just having the theory mm-hmm. behind it will be so helpful when you get to the editing bay and you're working with an editor over their shoulder and you say, okay, I, I think that beat doesn't really work and we need to move it back like five frames because... Mm-hmm. 
uh, it'll make that cut and transition way yeah. smoother or whatever, you know, it's exactly. like having that knowledge to be able to make those calls on the fly. I mean, as a director, that's basically your entire job is yeah. to just make decisions all day long from every department. So, so me uh, and Alex, we, we trend, we tend to just try and learn a little bit of everything. I mean, even sound, we hate doing sound. But I still tend to run sound on our production so we don't have to bring it up, especially when they're small. Like a little interview or, you know, the stuff that we're doing for Cinema Summit, I just run sound on that and it's fine. It works fine. I can manipulate the sound, uh, you know, set a tape a lob where it needs to be, set up a boom uh, pole with a shotgun on the end and it's fine. It's, it's usable. It sounds fine. It's, everything works out. Um, and that's helpful because then you, you can save money, you can save time. Um, and I'm not saying when you get into a production that is $100,000, you want to be doing as much as you can. No, that's when you kind of step back a little bit. But if you just have that knowledge, it'll just help every other aspect of filmmaking. Um, Alex is our go-to DP, um, but that doesn't mean I don't know how to light. I mean, I can light a scene easily, but Alex is Alex loves lighting. And so there are times when we go into our equipment cage and I'm like, what the hell is this called again? And Alex knows right away because this is the stuff he loves. Now... Do I know what to do with it? Absolutely. Do I know what it's called? Hell no. Because the names of these things are ridiculous. And I don't remember all that stuff because I have other things I need to remember. Like where I live and what my phone number is. <laughs> yeah. And in the same way, I don't know nearly as much as Trevor about editing. And so I have to, every single time I go into <laughs> Premiere, I have to be like, oh yeah, what's the hot key to select everything to the right? Or, you know, all, all those little things where it just makes life so much easier. Like I can, I can sort of you know, hobble through it or whatever my own, my own way, but it's nice to have things that you sort of focus on a little bit more than the others, just to like, you know, some, the things that you'll gravitate to the things that you're most interested in. I got a story that Alex may have told before, but I mean, to talk about like the positives of being a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing is Alex was actually hired when Larry King was starting out his new company, or a media and starting Larry King now. Alex was actually hired to edit the first episode. Edit. That's right. He was hired, he was called to edit on <laughs> Final Cut Pro. Which, which I had never in my yeah, life used no, before. We are we are Adobe guys through thick and thin, uh, through bugs and troubleshooting. Yeah. We are Adobe Premiere guys. And I remember he called me and he was like, All right, I'm sitting <laughs> in these offices and I have to cut an episode of this new show for Larry King. And everyone's going to come in in a little bit and see my edit. What the hell are all these keys? How do I do this? How to do this? And I just yeah. walked him through it. But he was able to do it. Once he once you learn the program, he was able to put together a coherent uh, you know, interview with Larry King and Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, and it was that was especially nerve-wracking for me because, <laughs> well, first of all, I'm okay if I'm just like in a room by myself and I can sort of pound through and like get it done. But when there's people hovering over me, I had... The I had, worst senior producer and um, the show producer standing right behind me and sort of watching me fumble through this edit. Man, I hated that. But the interesting thing is I went from editing that episode to then being a camera operator on the show uh, because one of the camera operators bailed shortly after and they asked me if I could step in and operate a camera. Which he was much more comfortable which doing. Which I was way more comfortable doing, so I did that. And then <laughs> I eventually moved up to director of photography, which I am now, which is... You know, so, yeah. so like a weird sort of path to get to that role, but it happened because I was able to sort of step in and take the job um, as an editor. 
even though that's yeah. not what I'm doing. I mean, now. and that's same for me. I came on as the ed- lead editor for Larry's second show, Politicking. And I did that, I did that, and then they needed a fill-in for technical directing, which is um, in the TV world. Um, it's just uh, running a switchboard, um, you know. Doing a live cut. Doing a live cut. Even uh, though it's live to tape. Live to tape, but doing all the technical stuff, setting up fiber connections, stuff like that. And then I did that for a long time, and now I direct. So it's kind of like we were able to turn things, that, well, especially for Alex, things that he wasn't completely skilled at into a job that he is and he likes. Um, so it, that just goes to show you that if you have a little bit of knowledge about every aspect, it just helps you out. It, it's an, it's not a deterrent. It's not a it's not a hindrance. It it helps you out one way or another. Yeah, and this comes to the. Uh the point that I wrote there at the end that I'm going to skip some of those and we'll come back what? to those. But um, casting a wide net, as they say, mm. uh, has always been... Tuna? My, exactly. Because okay. you can catch all the tunas yes. oh, in the cans, to, but then you have to get a can right opener and I don't... Um, but <laughs> to me, it's always been my method of madness to just have as many sort of... Uh, fingers out Mm -hmm. to grab whatever's available. (laughs) That's the saying. Um, Wait, you hate my saying of of Jack and no trades master of one, but that, that you're saying is good. I mean, you put your fingers in everything. No, I don't put my fingers. (laughs) I spread my fingers out to grab things. Pardon me. Pardon me. You made Um, it sound much more eloquent than I did. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. But anyway, so I did, I, when I was in college, I learned after effects and I started doing motion graphics like you said, I can I can edit. It's not my favorite thing, but I can do that. Color correction, mm-hmm. um, camera work, directing, producing, yeah, gaffing, yeah. I've done all these things on other projects um, that weren't weren't my own that I've been hired for, uh, and I was able to do them because I proactively pursued you know knowledge and skills in those things yeah. and taught myself how to do them enough to where I would be able to show people that I could do them with yep. either like a reel or like a demo or something or um you know just having done something with uh someone and having word of mouth go around that I can do that that thing yeah but that was how I've gotten pretty much every gig for the past I don't know 8 years yeah I mean, the same with me. I mean, I remember one of the, I did a web series out of college and this is, you know, I was more directing and uh, editing and they, I just had access to cameras and they wanted me to do camera work. And I remember like doing the camera work, it was fine, but going home and being like, you know what? I need to get better at camera work because it just, that got me a gig that like led to editing and led to directing, but I was so kind of disheartened about my knowledge of camera work on that one because it was you know i was young ish and um Mm -hmm. uh and so like alex is i kind of went out there and i started learning camera work i i would take the camera around and shoot things on my own see how the exposure would change see you know f-stops i had already taken a cinematography class but that was on film so this was more digital and it just helped me out so now as a director on a I mean, I could say TV show, I guess, a TV show, web show, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm able all to, above. all the above, I'm able to direct camera guys, especially if Alex is busy 
setting up lights somewhere for for a shoot. I'm able to direct camera guys to open their iris, pan this way, get this way, do this with this camera, do that with that because of my experience with camera. Um, and so it just helps. It helps. Like if I was to go out for a job, right off the bat, I'd say I'm a director, and you know that is my my passion. That is my what I want to do, but that doesn't mean I can't do anything else. So like if I had my dream choice, it would be director. Alex, I sure would be director DP. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it was like you, we're going to give you whatever job you want, write it down this piece of paper. That's what it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean I turned down a job that says, Hey, we need somebody to do camera work or Hey, we need somebody to do, uh, you know, an edit on this because I know how to do it because I've studied it as well as studied directing and all that. Yeah. So should, should we talk about how, um, you can, as a person who is trying to become a master of all trades. Oh, not just a jack of all trades. A no. master of all right. trades. Gotcha. You're, except you're, sound. You're on that quest <laughs> to be a master of all uh-huh. trades except sound. Um, <laughs> what do you do to start? Because I think that's kind of the tricky part or the scary part. I know for me, it really, it's been, <laughs> there's been some really scary things where... I throw myself into something that maybe I'm not ready for. Ooh. And then all of a sudden you Siemens? have to, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then you have to deliver. Um, and it can be kind of sketchy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how do you deal with, um, you have a little bit of experience. You've tried to teach yourself, but you've never really done it before on a professional level. And now you have all these people that are counting on you to deliver. How do you deal with that? Um, so this is going to sound really bad. Um, I'm of the uh, belief of fake it till you make it. Um, yep. And, um, you know, kind of like yours, like, especially when you're working with new people, even if you know everything, that even if you know everything about the camera, it might not be what they're looking for. So you kind of have a little leeway. You can be like, I'm going to do it this way. And then they're like, well, and if, if you're working with good people, even if you don't know them, but they're good people, they'll say, well, you know, that's not what I had in mind. This is what I was thinking. And you can kind of like, build off that and buy yourself some time. I mean, I know when I was, I mean, a freshman and I was working with a camera and they were like, and this is before I took a cinematography class, this is before I took anything, you know, this was, I was used to using my parents' handy cam to make films, you know, and that was like auto exposure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember somebody coming up to me and be like, hey, can you, uh, I'm going to go over here and do this. And this guy was, I think he was a master's student. I was working on his project. He's like, can you set this to daylight, uh, the camera to daylight and uh, the white balance to daylight and um, bring it over there and just make sure the F-stops are correct. And I just was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I got this. And I remember quickly going and like looking at my phone. I was like, daylight damp, okay. And then I was like, okay, how do I do it on this camera? And then like, and they're so busy that it took me probably longer than it should have to done, do all that. But then I walked over, I was like, here you go. He's like, awesome, man. This is great. Perfect. Thanks for this. And I was like, whew. Yeah. Um, and I think eventually you figure out that not everyone knows everything. No. I mean, even semi recently, after I had already been working pretty regularly as a director of photography, uh, and camera operator. I had this gig where the equipment was rented for me. I had never used it until the day that I showed up. I didn't get to select it. Yeah. And it, I had a mon. I knew everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, there was a monitor that I never used before, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to power on the monitor. Something <laughs> so simple. It was plugged in. To power, right? Oh, I think I remember you telling me about this, yeah. And I had to thank God for smartphones, am I right? Google. I had to Google the actual manual for that monitor 
to just flip through it and read because I didn't want to go to the guy, the executive producer or whatever in charge and be yeah. like, hey, um, how do you monitor on? I'll see myself. Out. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for the. So, I'll just take lunch. That's all I need to be paid for today. Yeah, I'm late. I'm gone. Bye. So yeah, I had to look through the the manual to figure that out, which was, you know, it was perhaps a blow to my ego, uh, but just a solid reminder that there's so much stuff out there. It, yeah. You're gonna come across things. That you're like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yep. Uh, but and where was gotta, the power button? Just it was on the side, but it wasn't like it was a flush button that didn't have any logo that it was power. It didn't have. You couldn't even tell that it was a button. It didn't. It was flushed to the camera. Oh, it had almost like the the, the rubberized exactly. like covering over it, and mm-hmm. you just had to feel. Oh you my god! You just gosh. had to know that it oh, was there. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's the design flaw that you shouldn't be held responsible. It was crazy. But uh, and then, uh, you know, early on in my camera career and DP career, I remember the first time I had I got to work with a gaffer because on a lot of things that I've done, it's been sort of web, uh, short films, stuff like that. Um, and usually it's just me. Maybe there's an AC uh, and whatever, maybe like a, a utility person that wouldn't necessarily call themselves a gaffer. Uh, but the first time I had to work with a real gaffer, I was really nervous just because I was like, this guy's going to know way more than me. And I, I'm going to be like a fraud, you know, like I'm, I've just kind of been winging it this whole time and doing doing my thing yeah and this guy probably has been like through the the you know <laughs> the ropes yeah exactly and he's he's he knows exactly what everything is he's probably gonna yep. be like oh this fool doesn't know how to light <laughs> but why well, is he the dp yeah exactly but you know you get over those things and you just kind of like power through yeah and that's i mean we, we what i mean you gotta do Okay, to to uh, blow some secrets away, we've taken some jobs that we don't know how to do, but we wing it. Um, we built miniatures for a movie and yeah, never built did. miniatures before. And, well, that's not true. Okay. We had once. Yes, we had once, but <laughs> for what? It was for a VR project yeah. with New Deal Studios, which was kind of cool. You know, that was awesome. And and But the... But the miniatures that we built were more like buildings. Buildings. So you just are you're cutting plywood and painting it, and and then you know you're, you're applying little uh, photos and yeah, and, uh, poster printouts of like the building structure and all that, and that was it. But this other one we got <laughs> a- off of that was we had to build glowing spaceships and damaged yep. airplanes for forced perspective and in camera miniatures. In camera no miniatures, less. yeah. And um, oh man, do we reveal what the miniature really was? No. Okay. But I, I think the, uh, <laughs> the, the main takeaway from that for me was, um, like as, as much as I, I, I feel like our failure in that project, it wasn't so much our failure. No, I don't think it was our failure at all. We, we delivered we, and we tried to tell them what they needed to do. Yeah, we did. And they just didn't listen. And also or? we told them straight from the beginning, I literally said out of my mouth, we've never done this before. This is the only project we've ever done miniatures on and we are like volunteers on this thing. Like we're just yeah. we're doing it because we're interested in in learning. Yeah. You probably don't want us to be the guys yeah. for this, but they insisted. They insisted and they got upset, but for the weird for the but when we explained why they were upset, like, hey, we tried to warn you about this they're like oh yeah they would uh, oh yeah i mean if anybody knows anything about forced perspective you that is where if you see online type in forced perspective you'll see these 
old model cars that people have, and then they build like a, a road, and they they put it on the horizon so that the buildings behind it look like they're. The perspective is that they're they are the it's like existing corresponding size to yeah to the car. And if you see it in films and stuff, they used it all the time back in like the fifties and in sci-fi movies because they would build like little miniature uh, spaceships and have the spaceship would be like very close to the camera, maybe even suspended on wires, mm-hmm. and then they would have people really far away walking. Uh, away from it in such a way where it looked like they came out of the spaceship. And right? that's what they wanted to do, but they didn't get a big enough soundstage so you could pull the people away from the, the ship and they weren't happy. And it's like, that was not on us. No. We told them. Yeah, and and a huge part of it is you cannot move the camera. No, and they wanted to move the camera on a fourth perspective, yeah. Uh. So, so, but that was that's another example of something where we probably have jumped into it to probably, probably be a master we of all. We shouldn't have taken that gig. I, w- I didn't really want to. I didn't really want to, but it was a friend of ours, and he insisted, and we went to the meeting, and on they were all excited, and it was yeah, like I got really excited about it, and so it was it was tough. But um, I I was so I was so anxious and just like upset the whole time. Oh, I did. Shit. I was not comfortable at all at any moment during that. I was just like, this is just killing me. Like I just wanted to get this done and like move on. And yep. you know, they kept calling us up to do these other shots. I'm like, guys, this isn't going to work. And they're like, no, 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 no. And then they kept changing their mind. It, whatever. It was. It, it all worked out. I don't know if it worked out on our ends. The, mo- the models look good, um, but we, we haven't even. I don't. I don't, I don't know think if it's the been movies, released. I don't think the movie's going to be released. I don't know. Um, hopefully not because of the force perspective. Um, wow, but, man. Um, but that being said, um, yeah, I just kind of going back, circling back. I I kind of. Now, I won't take something that's so far out of my comfort level that I know I can't do it. Like, if somebody, because we've done VFX and all that, but if somebody asked me to be a VFX supervisor and for like a giant, like, mocap, you know, sure. green screen, I'd be like, ah, no, nope. not, not my guy. Nope. Granted, I don't know how I'd ever get offered that, but. It's um, true. And I've turned down things that I had. You have to know what you're capable of yeah. and what you're comfortable with. And you can push it a little bit, but man, there's you'll know when you can't do it. And they'll know. And they'll know. And this was another time. I I got offered uh, an effects gig for a commercial. and Okay, now to be fair, this is Siemens the company. Um, No, no, not that one. Well, that's another one, but this is a different one. It's a commercial. It was a commercial. uh, Which one was this? Got asked to do it, and the deadline was extremely strict. Oh. And, And I was like, guys, there's... There's like 32 shots here, and you need it by Friday. And I don't think that I even have the computing power to do this. You know what I mean? Um, Trying to remember this one. It was, uh, I don't even remember what the product was. But anyway, it was like, uh, and I just turned it down. because. Oh, and, that's maybe why they, I didn't hear about it, because you were just like, eh. They really, they, were, they really wanted me to do it, because they didn't have anyone else, and they were on, the, on this deadline, and they were like, no, no, it's okay if it's not perfect. Blah. And I was like, no, no, guys, not going to do it. Not gonna do it. Did we know somebody on that? Is that why they came? Yeah. Ask? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that tends to happen. Like they just—you get it from friends where they're like, "I believe in you," and it's like, "Well, I don't believe in me, so you shouldn't." And like, let's just move on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to turn down things. Um. If you aren't comfortable, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't feel you're gonna miss out on other opportunities because people remember you if they're asking you in the first place. They believe in you, and then they'll. Uh, you know, remember you the next time. Uh, don't feel bad turning something down because in the end, you may be helping them by turning it down. Yeah, um, you don't want to set them up for failure because you, yeah. you know, are a little overzealous 
trying to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And so one of the pros of kind of being a jack of all trades, or as Alex likes to rename it, master of all trades, is that yeah. you can kind of help out a little bit. I am a big believer in... I, I'm not a fan. Uh, you know, I'm getting more and, okay, more and more okay with it. But I was not originally a fan of all those um, title cards that say a film by... Because, sure. you know, I honestly think that any film is a collaborative effort. If one yeah. person isn't on point, then the whole thing collapses. Um, not to say, you know what, whatever, if people want to put that before their movie, that's fine. That's on them. I, I personally just don't like a film by because I feel it's just, unless a person's doing every role on the film, it's not just their film. Yeah. Um, and that that being said, I am never afraid to, to help out. Like I, and you shouldn't either, like I'll carry gear. Even if I'm directing, I'll carry gear, I'll help set up lights, I'll move lights um, because I know how to move lights safely. And, um, you know, I'll help with an edit, I'll help the sound guy set up his uh, his shotgun. Um, and that's just because I know, at least as a, a working knowledge of everything um, from my experience. And so it just makes things easier. It just, it, as long as you're not pulling yourself away from what you're supposed to be doing in your main role help people out it helps it helps everyone out and you kind of everyone seems that you're a team player and it makes things run a lot smoother there's one huge caveat to that Uh which is if it's a union shoot do not touch anything that's true that's true uh you will get your hand chopped off uh union people are rough guys by the teamsters they will club you so yeah uh but i'm assuming most no budget projects are talking about no budget projects here yeah they're not going to be union yeah um, but if you do find yourself on Union, just stay in your lane, because they will cut you off at the knees. Yeah, they um, They do not want anybody taking their jobs or risk like making them seem like they're not important. Yeah, and I think uh, one big thing, like when I was producing a series for uh, our friend Scott, mm. which was mm-hmm. kind of one of the earlier narrative web series that was trying to be really cinematic, you know. And that- I think I picked up by Hulu, didn't it? It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got picked up by BET and then Hulu. Yeah. It was all, sorts, all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I got brought on as a producer, but I would also like unload gear out of the truck. Yeah, I would man. be hauling sandbags out. I'd be like running to grab food. You know, I'd be doing yeah. all sorts of stuff. And that kind of thing, when you're willing to put in the extra effort, it definitely sends a signal not only to like the rest of the crew where they're like, oh man, this guy is really stepping up and helping out a lot. Uh, we should make sure that we're, you know, not being lazy bums and like also step up, but also, um, down the road, people will remember that for sure. And yep. want to bring you on to other projects because they know your work ethic. And, and yeah, just lead by example. If you want, if you like appreciate people helping out, just help out other people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. um, but that being said, moving on to the next thing, there is a danger in having too many hats in, in, in like, the fact that if you hire a DP, let him be the DP. Now, you can offer your suggestions, but don't start acting like you know more than the DP if you're the director. Or if you're the DP that who's directed, don't act like you are the director and offer your opinion. Now, you can offer your opinion. Me and Alex are big on collaboration, but don't take the role don't of director. step on anyone's toes. Exactly. Um, um, unless, even if you know what you're doing. Unless they need to be stepped on. Yes, that's true. There are some instances where some people are in over their heads or they just don't know what they're doing. Just getting overwhelmed. Or, you know, everyone has those moments where sometimes they just need someone to shove them in the right direction and, mm-hmm. then, and then they'll be good to go again. But uh, I would say 
one of the dangers of wearing too many hats just in general is for your own sanity, like oh. overload, especially when it comes to directing, because the, again, like your job as director is to just take in questions and spit out answers. You know, like you yeah. are the problem solver. You are the one that people come to with all the problems. Um, and the producers, uh, that people go to the producers as well, but a lot of times they bypass the producers and come straight to you and they say, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And your whole job is to, uh, answer them, give them the answers, the right answers the first time quickly and, the, and then execute. Yeah. But then also simultaneously be thinking about the performance, yeah. um, the shots, composition, uh, the tone, the pacing, all these things. Um, so you have to juggle a lot. And so if you're combining that, that, yeah. that task of being a director with also running sound oh. or uh, operating the camera or uh, trying to do be like the wardrobe person yeah. or the production designer, mm -hmm. you know, all, a script supervisor. It's just, it's, you're gonna, you're gonna drive yourself crazy, especially on a really long project or a big, yeah. bigger, like a feature. Um, and you're just going to get burnt out really, really fast. Yeah. I'm, I, it's funny because, and, and before we get go any further, like we're not bashing on sound. Like I just, it's such a stressful thing to run sound because it is so important and it's so easy to screw up that like sound guys I admire. Those guys have it on lock. And if you can, if they can produce great sound that's clean, whoosh, man, they are worth yeah. every penny. Totally. Um, and it's like a whole new world. I mean, I, one of the reasons I was got interested in the film biz, I remember back when I was a kid, I came to like the Universal Studios uh, tour I saw them do all the Foley stuff, you know, the sound, oh, yeah, I love which that is so stuff. cool. I mean, there's a lot of really cool aspects to sound. So we're not, we're not yeah. trying to like no. say sound sucks or anything. Just, it's so, it's just it's we're, so... we're so terrible at it. Uh, and the smallest thing can just destroy all of your sound. And we've had our own bad experiences with that. Yep. So therefore we don't necessarily want to be doing it ourselves because we don't trust ourselves and have the knowledge necessary to be a really good sound person and that being said it gives me anxiety thinking about running sound and um on that note when i was running sound <laughs> <laughs> do not run your own sound but when i was um on pros and cons yeah it was funny because this is a prime example of you know spreading yourself too thin i remember i was running sound it was just me and alex were the only crew we had two actors in a small space that we had like four hours to shoot um and i was running sound and I remember the first two takes. We ran a take of the first, the first uh, like snippet of the scene. Ran it. Okay, let's run it again. And I specifically remember you after the second take. You said, "Okay, cut." He was like, "Hey, Trevor, do you have any suggestions?" And I was so engrossed to make sure that the sound was okay and that I was picking up good levels and that it wasn't rubbing up against any clothes or anything like that. I literally, I remember looking at you and being like, I was not paying attention at all. Like, I didn't even look yep. at the... And, I, and then I said, great, me neither, because I was operating the camera. <laughs> exactly. And we said, let's move on. Let's move on. We got it. Nailed it. <laughs> Beautiful. Let's get it. Um, but I just remember, I wasn't even looking at the actors, and I just remember, luckily, the, the actors were our friends, so they weren't like, oh, this guy. But I was just like, oh my God. Like, yeah. I forgot I had to also direct this too, and yeah. I didn't. I was just worried about sound, and that is where you run into problems. When you are doing... 
you have too many hats, you're stretching yourself too thin, and you forget your main job because you're doing every other job. Yep. Um, John actually talks about that in our interview with him about uh, directing uh, a low-budget feature about how it was just kind of like a whirlwind where he was running to get somebody's costume change while they were changing upstairs and he was directing this and then he had to go fix a gun. And mm-hmm. um, and that is and, necessary sometimes. And that's a prime example. We didn't have a uh, a production designer or any art department at all on that, on that film. So literally we would be framing up the shot and we'd be like, Oh man, that wall looks really plain, you know? And then we would just on the spot, try to figure out how to fix it. You know, that's not a great way to operate. Well, the other problem was that our producers, one was acting in the movie. Yes. One was again, running sound, right? (laughs) Ding, ding, ding me. And another producer was, um, just running like a B cam kind of just, well, holding the boom and also being like a, a general AD type person. Yeah, and so it was kind of like all of our producers who should have been worried about producing, like getting co- like are there to be that kind of person where it's like, okay, I'll go get the costume, I'm a producer, or I'll go fix this gun, or I'll fix this chair. We're all doing other jobs, and it just made it impossible. So the guy, like I had, you know, two lav packs on me, and I was connected to. Um, an XLR cable with uh, on the boom pole. It was like, oh god, we need somebody to get this this jacket. I'm like, I can't move. I literally cannot move. I am connected to the wall power, and I have two pa- battery, two uh, lav packs, and the XLRs. I can't move. Like, who else could do it? And then you're in the scene, and I'm like, well, he's out. Uh, Logan was, uh, you know, running second camera or doing something else. It's like, mm-hmm. so there goes our director going to get a jacket for the actor. And then he has to remember how that last take went and what he wanted to change. And it's like, there's a positive and negative to everything. And there's many negatives if you know and are interested in doing everything on set. And sometimes you have to, but it can be a pain. And you could just, at the end of it, just be like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And burn yourself out completely. Yeah, try to avoid the burnout. Oh. You want it to be a pleasant experience. Yes, and and fair disclaimer: when you're starting out and you have no budget, it it will be stressful. That's kind of like that. You know what we talked earlier in this podcast about, like you know, um, learning the ropes and paying your dues. Low budget filmmaking is kind of paying your dues because you're starting off with a crew of like three people on a feature. And slowly but surely, you're going to move yourself up and get a little more money, and then you're going to have a crew of five, and then a ten, and then we and Alex were just watching a movie tonight um, that kind of was an inspiration for Beef, and it was like this very low-budget, campy horror comedy, and even that, you look at the end, and there was a list of probably 120 crew members, mm-hmm. and it's like, even those low-budget low, low budget movies have a good crew, but you're not even going to have anywhere near that when you're doing you know, no-budget it's going to be you and your buddies or you and your collaborators for the first one or two projects before you start getting some money and you're going to have to do it. And you just got to keep calm and realize, you know what? This is going to be like it for the rest of your life. It'll get better. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we said, there's, there's pros and cons to both sides. Um, I personally haven't been a fan of being on the, the huge, Crews because no, uh-uh. because those are the crews where you have your one specific job you can't do anything else yeah and it's an extremely in my opinion again Ooh, uh, efficient deep. inefficient uh, mm-hmm. way of running a set because yeah you have tons of people sitting around not doing anything not because you know they don't want to do anything but because they literally cannot do anything um, 
they cannot help with whatever the problem is at hand because it's not their department or whatever. But you have all these people that kind of just sit around. You have like the truck, the guys sitting on the truck. You yeah. Know, it's just like, man, if we could all just like work together here and be a little bit more efficient. And I also personally like a, a dash of chaos. Yeah, a little dash of chaos. Keeps because, everyone on their toes. Yeah, it's way more, I don't know, you... I, to me, it's like you do better work when you're under pressure a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. If you're if you're kind of just like phoning it in and you're just like totally chill or whatever, it's probably you know your your brain's not firing enough uh, synapses to really Ooh. be doing anything worthwhile. Ooh, check you out. Um, okay, so then quick fire. What is your ideal crew size? What what key positions you want filled by an individual, and not by group? Go. And not by a group. Yeah, like you know, oh, like we're all we're. A group of producers that are doing other stuff. So one, oh, you, know, right. you know, what I mean, like you know, oh well, you know what? We can all gaff together, you know, something. Yeah. Like that. So I would say, like, ideal. Yeah, for like, me. like for for you, like ideal crew size for like, I could take on anything other than a hundred million dollar budget. Like I could like up to a let's say a one million dollar budget. I feel I can do it with this minimal crew because I feel it's more efficient and everything needs to get done that can that needs to be. Everyone will get everything that man. Too much of that sweet, sweet cold liquor. <laughs> Everything that needs to be done will get done with the little amount of people on set as possible. Yeah, I think that there's like maybe a rule of twos. Okay, that you could live by okay. a little bit. Um, yeah. for a lot of the a lot of departments, like okay. um, obviously one director or maybe you know two. Trevor and I like to direct together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's say one director. Okay. Um. In the camera department. Would you give him an AD? Yes. Okay. An AD, so I guess that's the two. That's the two. Um, in the camera department, uh, you have the DP and I would say an AC. Okay. Um, the AC, I would say, um, would probably be the focus puller. Okay. And the DP would operate. Okay. Um, and then... Well, and... And in our instances, the AC would also be the camera holder because they're big, beefy things. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and then in sound, it's nice to have a, a boom up and a mixer. Yep. Okay. So we're up to, we've got six now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the production design area, it's always, again, nice to have two. One person can kind of like generally focus on um on uh like props and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and set dressing yeah and the other person can kind of be looking at the bigger picture of like making sure it fits within like the tone like uh, an art director yeah. role or something like that okay um so we're up to eight eight now yep eight um and then let's see what else would we need you want a gaffer and a yeah, let's see. Would pro- I'd probably say two uh, swing people. Okay, that that can go between gaffer, gaffer and, and grip. grip. Yeah, I would say that that's pretty good. Um, especially if your DP is okay, like moving lights as well. Um, yeah, if they want to get their look and they're not like sitting in the back and being like, "This is the look I want." You guys go do it. But he's willing to move lights and all that. I think you can have two swing people that go between grip, grip and gaff. That being said, I'd probably want to assign one as the key swing, which doesn't yes. really exist, but, um, but we're making it right now. But like the person who is the quote unquote gaffer, yeah, uh, and sort of in charge of himself and the other uh, swing guy, mm-hmm. but 
he's not just a gaffer. He's also going to grip and do yeah. that whole thing. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I mean, one thing that I think gets overlooked a lot, especially in no budget, micro budget stuff is a script supervisor. I was just going to add that. I was just going to say, do you like a script supervisor? Cause knowing me, I love a script supervisor. It's pretty, it's pretty bomb.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, because like we said, there's a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. A lot of decisions need to be made. And if you're not paying attention, I mean, it happens, it happens even at Larry every once in a while where, uh, someone will be saying something. They'll be like, Oh yeah, well, what did I, can I take that back? What, what did I just say? And you have to off the top of your head and be like, Oh God, uh, 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 yeah. uh, thinking about it. And, uh, you know, that's not, that's not great. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, about 11, you'd say 11. Yeah. I mean, a, a crew of 11 to even to me seems big from what we do now, but in the grand scheme of sin, it's not a big crew. 11. It's, it's Terribly small crew. That's, it, I would say that's a skeleton crew. I mean, yeah. No, and, what, and, what we do, I would call um, a ghostwriter crew, like yeah. a flaming skeleton crew. They <laughs> um. <laughs> meant ghostwriter like the PBS special when we were younger. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, eleven. I feel I'm with you. I feel with eleven, we could easily get done with everything oh, we wanted. Wait, but oh. we forgot. We forgot. Um, producers. Oh my! You know what? We do need producers because they're the ones are running down, and putting out some fires as we're doing it. So, and then we need two PAs. Which would be <sighs> who's nice. Gonna, who's gonna get our coffee? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're looking at fifteen, 15 which is still not uh, not a very big. That's just off the top of my head. I'm I'm probably missing. There's probably others that I, I'm. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But that being said, I mean, fifteen is a good number. That I feel if we had fifteen, like the the, for me the. The luxury of having two PAs and a script supervisor. Wait, we forgot. Oh, we forgot wardrobe. Oh, sh- yeah. I mean, if you have like a super talented. Oh, we forgot another one too. Um, hair and makeup. Got hair and makeup. Oh, you need you need hair and makeup. Yeah, you, you do. need. I mean, again, Alex is doing this. The uh, I did the special effects makeup. on Special that. effects makeup on on that feature, and it's like, and he had to go to a wedding. So I remember he took pictures. <laughs> uh, he he did the makeup. I took pictures of what he did, and then when he left for a wedding, I was doing the makeup, and I didn't have nearly as much experience as Alex, but I just was watching what he did and learned from it. But yeah, so you have well, we had fifteen. You want to add in um, makeup, hair and makeup, hair and makeup. Um, so that's, I mean, depending on who you get, if they're really a rock star, I, I would do almost a swing too. If you have one person doing hair and makeup, but they can both do both, both yeah, roles. Yeah, they can both do both. Um, so that's 17. And then producers, we would say three would be great. That'd be really good. Ten, so 20 people. Mm-hmm. 20 people on, on crew is not, not great. Not, not amazing, big number. No. But it, from us, it would get the job done. I could, yeah. we could easily do one, a $1 million movie with 40 people, with 40, with, uh, 20 people. Definitely. And I think, you know, to be honest, it's like, we could do it with less if we had to. If we had to. We don't want to. I'm just saying, we're, hey, we, we talked hypothetical ideal position. Right. Like, if we had the money and we were doing all that stuff, um, it would be awesome to have 20 people. Um, yeah. And I think once you get over 20... It's a pretty solid round number. I like round numbers. I do too. I do too. Um, now, this doesn't. This changes a little bit. If you're doing some visual effects, you might want a visual effects supervisor in there to know... Ooh, yeah. To get your shots down. But we'll, we'll just say like a $1 million, you know, thriller kind of just thing. Straight easy. Yeah, straight easy peasy. I mean, then you, you get... You could also 
get into like stunt coordinator, people, stunt coordinator. Um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, twenty is a gr- really good crafty. number. Crafty, oh, crafty. But see that if you, you if you get a group good group of people, a producer can be crafty. You can like buy the stuff. That's true. Um, you just have El Pollo Loco deliver. Am I right, everyone? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, give it to me all day. Or <laughs> every film uh, shoot that yeah, I've ever been on. Coney Island dog delivering euros every day. Oh from man, Vegas. from Las Vegas. <laughs> just mail them in. Oh man, they'll be one cold, at a time. Be, yeah, <laughs> that is the director. He's demanding his Coney Island euro, and everyone else doesn't get to do anything until he gets. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be in his trailer, which is just a porta potty. Um, yeah, I, I feel we could do a one million dollar movie with twenty people. Yeah, easily. And if we had to do it with less, we could pull it off. It'd be more stressful. But twenty is like a good number. So if we if we moved up to the like, you know, ten million dollar range, we're probably looking at a little bit more. Um, yeah, you're probably looking at like fifty people. Yeah, yeah, hundred people. But I mean, a million dollar movie ain't nothing to uh, frown upon. Um, if anybody out there wants to give us a million dollars in a movie, we'll do it with 20 people and keep the budget tight. Tight. Yeah, so, I don't know, that's, a, that's about it, um, in my mind, of, of talking about Jack of All Trades and Master of None and what you should do to make yourself more useful and mm-hmm. attractive to potential clients. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, I guess, alluded to this, danced around it. I don't know if we hit it on the head, really, but um, nowadays... With everything so easily available, uh, cameras and editing equipment, computers and all this stuff, and everyone who wants to sort of like jump on that can do it, you know, pretty easily. Yeah. So uh, having the ability to sort of move around as a freelancer, you know, if you're working in the freelance world, Mm -hmm. um, is pretty key. Yeah. Pretty key. And again, it's also one of those things that you don't have to become a master editor. You don't have to be able to edit a feature. But if you can just put a scene together, just for your old general knowledge, you'll be able to then use that knowledge on set. You'll be able to maybe, you know, edit a short for somebody for a couple hundred bucks to help pay the rent. Um, uh, you know, again, we don't like doing sound, but I can I can do sound. I can get some decent sound out of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it may not be what you ultimately want to do, but it just makes you that more, much more valuable when uh, you're either getting clients or you're getting on set or you want to do your you know no-budget feature and you don't have the money to pay for all these people, if you can get people who can kind of be a Swiss army knife, um, you're, you're just better off for it. Yep. All right, shall we move on to what's cool? <laughs> Windscreens aren't, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do it. What do you think is cool? Go ahead. You start off. You want me to start off? Yeah, go ahead. Why not? Okay. Um, I just heard about this. Uh-oh. This is something I just heard about. Hot off the presses here. I, ha- I haven't even really been able to uh, explore it that much. All right. What do you got? What? Uh, the Sinner Season 2. Man, I... From, okay, so I didn't see Season 1. Yeah. But I don't know how it's going to be a Season 2, but go ahead. I believe... If I'm not mistaken, it's a whole different oh. group of people. So it's almost like it's like the same. It's almost like True Detective in a way, or, or whatever. like uh, what is it, uh, American Horror Story? Yeah, where okay. it's the same, probably tone and mm-hmm. vibe and you know, suspense, mystery kind of thing going on. Okay, um, but totally different family, totally different people. Uh, but the first season, I enjoyed quite a bit. Okay, quite a bit. There were, you know, some funky things going on. Uh, but overall, I really, really liked it. Miss Timberlake did a good job. 
She did. All right, she excellent. Did. And Mr. Pullman, oh, love me did, some Pullman. A, did a great job. Okay, I'll check that. I, I guess I have to check out season one. There's just so much, so much shit out there to to, to watch. That's so good. Yeah. I just got into Handmaid's Tale, and I'm obsessed with that. Ooh. Oh man! Holy smokes! I just saw the episode last night. Really? The newest one. Oh, I'm still My on season God. one, and I'm like, I'm blazing through it. I'm just like. I'm supposed to go down uh, south for this weekend, uh, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to pass and just sit and watch Handmaid's Tale all weekend yeah. while drinking. So good. Um, all right. Well, yeah. I, I guess I'll check out season one of Sinner. Um, there's just so much stuff out there now. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, I, my Netflix list is growing by the day. I know. I, I jump around. So my thing is, like, my list is big, but... Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I jump around a lot because things don't necessarily grab me right away. And I'll oh, only yeah. watch, like, three episodes and i'll be like oh man what else is there to watch out there so that that's when you need these little fringy ones that's like oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna the sinner i totally forgot about that i'm gonna hit that one up dude i i uh i destroyed barry in like uh, a week yeah that's one that's on my list I yeah and it's it, it is a good one and i'm just like you know what nailed that through eight 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 episodes i was able i think it's eight able to handle that off a little bit mm-hmm. and it was great and and now i'm moving on to the next one so um yep. and it, i like i i'm I feel like a lot of people these days really dig the really cool uh, true crime docu-series. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's a new one that's out, The Staircase. I want to see it. Wow. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It's, it's like a redo of a documentary. on the, the The case has been covered in many documentaries. Probably. But I think, yeah, yeah, that one looks good. Yeah. Well, it looks super good. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so for me... Um, We've been big fans of Hive's uh, lights here. I don't know if uh, you guys have heard us talk about them too much. Um, cause Probably we, a little too we, much. We, we, we will not stop talking about them. We love them. Um, so they just revealed at Cinegear they are uh, releasing a makeup mirror. So it's a mirror that has their built-in LED lights and kind of a bar bars on the top and the sides. So you can go on set, match the, you know, figure out what lights your hives are pushing out, what color they're pushing out on set, and then bring it to the makeup table and see how the makeup will interact in the lighting that will be on set. So it's built-in RGB lights in a makeup mirror. Yeah, and that's a really interesting thing I think a lot of people don't realize is if you're if you're shooting a scene in daylight and you're in a makeup trailer with tungsten light, I mean, that's no no buen. No buenos. No buenos. No buenos. Because you're going to get out on set and you're shooting daylight, you're like, wait a second. Yeah. Just it doesn't look the same. Doesn't look the same at all. It looks bad. Um. So, um, know, yeah, that's so, a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool feature. I never had. I'd never thought of that. No. When you when you brought it up to me, I was like, "What? That's a." And I was like, "Oh man, actually, <laughs> that's a, that's pretty cool." Evil geniuses that hive take more of our money. I st- I still really want them to make a practical light bulb with their technology in it. Oof. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah, I'm waiting for someone to come out with like a, just a regular light bulb that has like color accurate, yeah, full RGB, like meant for the motion picture yeah, industry, like a cinematic light bulb. Especially if they could make it look like a real light bulb. You yeah. know how like LED bulbs don't look like real bulbs, yeah, because like exactly. half of it is like a heat sink and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if they could somehow make it look like a real bulb as at the same time, yeah, hot lavas. Oh man, I would just put that. I would buy all those. Not to use in any of our projects, but just to put in my bedroom so I can have some sweet John Wick lighting when I wake up. Yeah. Wacha! Yeah, just turn so on the club music oh, and no. start, start pew-pewing away. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> That's how John Wick sounds. He's like, you killed my dog. Pew, 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 pew
That went on way that's, too long. Uh, that's John Wick in a nutshell. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right. What else you got? What What else is cool for you? Um, okay, so I also just heard about this, which is kind of cool. Um, the Lilliput A12 Ooh. is a 4K monitor. Okay, tell me more. Um, and you can monitor four cameras at the same time. It has quad split, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. um, for a cheap-ish monitor. It's like $600. That's not bad. That's not bad. And so, I mean... Shh. We've been in many situations, especially working on a multi-cam show like Larry, mm-hmm. where having four monitors up at the same time, I mean, we have it in the studio, but when we go out in the field and we're we're shooting with, um, you know, whoever at like a Dodger Stadium or something, and it's like we're bringing all of our equipment there, we don't have the same stuff that we have in the studio. And so we used to, like back in the day, had this terrible system where we could actually only put two cameras in the monitor at any time yeah. and then you had to switch inputs oh. to view them separately mm. and then if you wanted to see the third cam you had to unplug one and <sighs> stick that one in this was like yeah. a really stupid way of doing it yep. but now we have to have um, like a what is it called a, uh, an Odyssey 7Q yep. with quad split running into a bigger monitor and I don't know this one's kind of cool it's like 12 inches which is not that big I mean it's still pretty portable which is nice yeah. for field shoots but field if you're, if you're in a around. studio or something that's that's more than enough pretty cool I don't know are 600 we, bucks I don't hate it are we buying one? sure okay yeah. alright uh, so what I'm, I'm I talked a while ago about um, the Lumiere Roscoe mix lights and how they're just these you know Roscoe's moving to LED uh, LED LED RGB full spectrum lights um, and it's kind of like merging two things we've talked about on this. So the LED lights and then also that image to LUT. Because what they've revealed with these uh, Lumiere Roscoe mix lights is you can, if I'm understanding this correctly, you can take a photo that you have on your phone. You can take the photo, you can download it from the web or whatever on your phone. And the app for these lights, you can match the color in that photo, no gel required, in the lights. So basically, it'll take the photo from your phone, you upload it into the app. It uploads to the app, it'll analyze it and match the, the color kind of spectrum in that, in that photo yeah. on set. Here's why I'm confused about this idea. Hit me. I'm, I'm very intrigued by this idea. Okay. But I feel very confused Multi-color about Multicolor in a picture? Yeah, because if because how does it deal with like production design? Like if you if you're rolling in like a an orange room, yeah, you know, but your lighting is is daylight on the subject, and you you know how does it how does it know how to di- uh, differentiate between like these big blocks of color that aren't having really a whole lot to do with lighting? That's true. I mean, I guess it, it kind of it's like one of those guidance things. You know how I always am like, why would somebody want to take a LUT that looks like a movie? And it's like, well, it's just to get that idea, and then you, you adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it was one of those things where it's like, oh, you know what? I really like the green color in this, the green tint. So I want to use that, but I'll, I'll adjust accordingly for inside this, mm-hmm. this room. This reminds me of, um, of Ian's lights, which um, have a built-in color meter yes. in the actual light. And you hit like an auto button. Yeah. And it will take in the light, the surrounding light. And spit out a matching light, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah, if you're in like a certain scenario where you're okay, let's say you're in like an office with yep. overhead lights and you're yep. trying to match those for an interview or something. Mm-hmm. Perfect application for that. Sure, that works great. Where I don't see it working terribly well is on like a narrative shoot. You know, like wh- how would that work out? Like if, for example, you're shooting 
out on the street in front of like a store. Um, so you have the light from the store coming in. You have maybe some neon hitting from behind. You have the street lights overhead. Like, how does that work in that scenario? How are you going to get the orange that's in the picture to show up in a different scenario where how are you your gonna, lights are orange, but every other spill light is? Yeah, if, you, if yeah. you're using mixed color temps, which if you're shooting like reality, you get a lot of. Yeah. Um, how do you... I, I'm sure these are, are, are probably, they're pushing for studio use, soundstage, ah. and, uh, and, and interview. And interview. And interview. I feel like interview is probably the best application for it, yeah, but yeah. it seems interesting. I mean, again, you have total control of the, them without pictures. It's just an added feature that you can then, mm-hmm. you know, if you want some kind of guidance, you can then go to the app and just upload a picture that you like. Or, you know, it's kind of one of those things that would be nice if you're doing an interview in two locations you want to look the same, you take a picture of your first shoot. Um, That's interesting. And then you go and you just kind of, and granted the, the ambient light will, might be a little different, but you can set them t- to kind of look the way they did in that picture. You know, not necessarily, because, you know, your RGB color numbers may be the same as they were in the first interview, but when you bring them to this location, they may need to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. So It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's some interesting stuff. I don't know if it's something you should live or die by in lights. Um, I think you'll get frustrated, but yeah. just having that option, if it does, if it's just an added option, like, hey, I'll yeah, take might it. Might as well test it out and see what it does. And finally, uh, I put this on there, ShareGrid Pro. ShareGrid Pro. Um, this is more for the people using ShareGrid rather than the people renting on ShareGrid. Um, we're, well, we, it's for both. Yeah, but uh, but the requirements, like we use ShareGrid to rent out all of our stuff when we are not using it. And the ShareGrid Pro kind of is not so much for us. Yeah, it's for real rental houses that have a lot <laughs> of uh, that have a lot of you know infrastructure in place. Mm-hmm. They have technicians yeah. that work at their facilities. They have special rooms where dedicated rooms where people can test out the equipment. Yep. Uh, ShareGrid has a whole list of different yeah. things that you need to be considered an actual rental house. So what ShareGrid does is it allows you, the renter, to put out. A project for bids. So you put out your project, what you need, how long you need it for. And granted, I think the minimum is $5,000? 2000 2000 Okay. So the minimum is, you got to be willing to spend $2,000 or more um, for your project. But you can go and say, this is the list of everything I need. And then they will shoot that out to all the rental houses. The rental houses say, well, then, you know, do battle to the death for your business. Yeah. Try, um, to, try to earn my yeah my $2,000. <laughs> Um, woo me. Um, but yeah, I think that's a pretty cool idea because it takes the good parts of share grid, hopefully, and eliminates the crappy parts of share grid for larger projects. Yep. The crappy parts of share grid being like, you have to run around and pick up a whole bunch of stuff everywhere or have it delivered at midnight. Like I'm doing tonight. Yes. (laughs) Um, and so you don't necessarily want to be doing that, especially if you have, if you're renting, you know, a lot of gear and you have to pick, make 50 stops. I mean, there's yeah. no way that's just so stupid. Unless you have 20 PAs, but 20 is our max of our whole cruise. Um, but hopefully, hopefully you get still, um, you know, the good prices that yeah. ShareGrid has to offer because that's like one of the best things about ShareGrid is you can go on there and be like, oh man, I need this thing. If I went to a rental house, it would be, you know, 50 bucks, but over here it's 38 bucks. And another great thing about ShareGrid is you can use ShareGrid's insurance, which is awesome. Uh, a lot of yep. rental houses don't allow you, you have to come with your own insurance. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is kind of exciting. Um, a lot of uh, good options for 
know a bunch of filmmakers out there that can't afford the rental houses but want all the equipment in the same thing. All right. Is that going to do it? I think that's going to do it. Can we go on way episode. too long for this one? How long do we go? We're at we're at 120. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, people. <laughs> it's this new alcohol dispenser. This really Man, got us going. It really did. I don't know if we slowed down or if time sped up, <laughs> but something happened. I need another drink. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. You can get the episode notes for this one by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode nine. And don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you to everyone who has already done that. Yes, thank you. And uh, while you're there, you can give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined and keep, write us a review, yeah, which keep, is awesome. Thank keep you the streak alive. We've had all nothing but five stars, so let's, uh, let's keep that going. Yeah. And if you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comments section, and we will try to answer them in future episodes. And like our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit. And we'll check you next time. See ya. Peace. Later.